When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to In Conversation With, a Hollywood Reporter podcast produced in partnership with Apple TV+. In each episode, we sit down with the creators and stars of some of TV's most compelling shows and hear more about what went into bringing these stories to life. I'm Michael O'Connell, senior writer at The Hollywood Reporter, and for this episode, I'd love to welcome Gugu Mbatara, one of the stars of Morning Show, in which she plays Hannah, a booker on the titular talk show, harboring a devastating secret that's slowly revealed over the course of the first season. A celebrated and classically trained actress, Gugu is also known for starring in films such as Belle and Beyond the Lights, and what's probably the most universally adored episode of Black Mirror, the Emmy-winning San Junipero. Gugu and Batara, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. (laughs) (laughs) I think we should start with Morning Show. Few series have been the subject of more attention before a single word was written, a single (laughs) scene filmed. Uh, At what point in the process did you come on board? You know, I knew that... Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon and Steve Carell were cast. So um, I think maybe also Billy Crudup was cast at at the point that I was sort of, you know, first reading the script. But uh, yeah, it was around October um, 2018. Oh my God, is that what it was? Um, And uh, yeah, I I basically got sent two scripts um, from my agents and... um, and it was it was a straight offer for the role of Hannah, um, and I was so curious because obviously knowing that incredible cast, I knew that it was going to be a quality project. And I was also so excited because of Apple TV Plus. I just you know launching and a whole new kind of streaming service. I thought that that could be exciting to be part of the gestation of that. And then I I read the scripts and obviously Hannah is is really not featured so heavily in the first two episodes. So I got on the phone with Mimi Leader and Kerry Aaron, our showrunner and main director. And they basically pitched me, you know, the whole of Hannah's arc uh, across the season on the phone. Um, And it just gave me chills. I just thought it was such a powerful storyline. And, um, you know, as well as the writing of the show being so witty and smart and sort of muscular. And uh, I just thought it was so topical and and such a, a great, a great project to get into. It is so funny because the first few episodes, obviously you're a very recognizable actress in this part that you don't really see where it's going and how it's going to fit into the bigger story. Mm. What what did you think of reading those first two scripts? And and were you surprised by the the backstory of what of what Hannah's significance to the larger story was going to be and, and it be revealed later in the season? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I loved the writing and I think that that was, you know, a huge draw. Carrie Erin and the whole writing team just made it feel 
you know, these characters were just sort of so almost larger than life, you know, the adrenalized world that they're in. And, um, you know, especially, um, you know, I think everybody loves to see a bit of behind the scenes of what it's really like and what these personalities are really like. So so that I really, really, you know, loved the quality of the writing from the outset. And then really, you know, as I say, Carrie and Mimi really did tell me exactly what, what Hannah's journey was going to be. So I knew from the outset everything really you know um and and that was more of an appeal as well because you know i felt like there was definitely a sense of completion to her mm -hmm. story and you know it just felt really like it would have such a powerful impact and i loved the idea of it potentially generating conversations around the issues of the show you know from sexual assault and power dynamics in the workplace uh, to you know suicide and you know female friendships and and female ambition, really, and, and the cost of that. I mean, we've been leaning in, in the entertainment industry more and more into these stories of, of sexual assault and the aftermath. But what happens with this character takes it to a place that a lot of projects really haven't. It's incredibly tragic. And what sort of feedback did you, you get on how it played out? And, and how did that differ from maybe what you expected? Yeah, it was really interesting, actually, in terms of people's response to Hannah. And I think especially the way the episodes initially rolled out in that we had the first three episodes and then, you know, initially they came out week weekly, you know, on onto the streaming service. So and then once they were all out, you know, I think people's opinions of her shifted a little <laughs> bit. But, you know, initially, you know, you she she sort of blends into the background. She's this workaholic career woman who's good at her job and ambitious and, and smart. And, you know, she, she sort of makes the whole of the behind the scenes world of, of the morning show tick in terms of her research and in terms of, you know, being the booker on the show. And I think it was fascinating, you know, sort of around about, I don't know, episode seven, where things start to heat up for Hannah and you get to see where, um, you know, she somewhat is sort of spying on Claire and her dynamic with Claire and, and, and trying to understand what she is trying to protect Claire from. I think people maybe judged Hannah a little bit and thought she was a bit harsh as a friend, sort of giving um, Claire away to, you know, the HR department and all of that. But, but I think certainly after episode eight, which is, you know, the big episode that's a flashback where, you know, my character and Steve Carell's character have that that incident and the, and the you know, the assault scene in, in Las Vegas. I think people obviously saw another layer to Hannah, you know, and that she wasn't always this tough, sort of hard-bitten career woman and that she came from a much more a place of vulnerability and, and what she went through. And I think that gave a whole perspective then to the rest of her choices in terms of, um, you know, how conflicting it was for her to take that promotion and also the cost of that, you know, in, in terms of somewhat selling her soul, you know, the morality of that. So the conversations have been really, really interesting. And, you know, a lot of women have reached out to me on social media and expressed that they felt seen for the first time, you know, in terms of the complexity of being in a moment like that, um, in terms of, you know, the sexual assault scene and, and how how that plays out, you know, from many different perspectives. That scene in episode seven is just so deeply unsettling. And I, I'm curious, like, what kind of conversations did you and Steve have before filming it? And, and as we've 
gotten so much more sensitive about telling these stories and depicting them. Do you feel that it was a, a conversation that may not have happened in a in a, a role that you took on like seven, eight years ago? Definitely. And I think, you know, beyond Steve, obviously, definitely our our director of that particular episode was the incredible Michelle McLaren, mm. who is so thorough and so detailed and and um, and really, really great with actors. And, you know, I think between talking with Michelle and talking with Mimi Leader, the main director on the show and and Kerry Erin, you know, really getting that balance right. For the first time in my career, we worked I worked with an intimacy coordinator, uh, which definitely didn't that role didn't even exist several or eight years ago, let alone, you know, two years ago, really. uh, That's definitely been, you know, a new role in the industry in the advent of Me Too. And and, um, so that was really interesting in terms of just the technical choreography of those kind of scenes. And I was very grateful to have that perspective and that extra support from, um, you know, a neutral third party who was able to kind of look at both actors' comfort levels. And, you know, um, that was her really, her only interest you know is beyond getting the shot getting the story I think that was that was definitely something that was new for me and then really just you know the nuances and and I think obviously Michelle was very clear that beyond anything graphic that we were shooting that that what was most important was what was going on with Hannah internally and emotionally and those beats of you know is it fight or flight is, is you know essentially she is actually you know the other instinct that we all have as human animals is is the freeze response and i think many people overlook the freeze response you know and the paralysis of being in a moment like that and you know i think it's easy to judge and say oh why didn't you just you know say no and get out there and and actually i think for hannah in a situation with essentially her one of her her boss somebody who's much more powerful than her and someone she idolizes as a mentor it was very very conflicting so so i think you know i felt comfortable on a physical level and obviously steve carell is such a pro and um really just was very conscious of the intimate and delicate nature of the story so i think everybody was incredibly sensitive to to how we were working on it i I believe if it wasn't the same day, it was definitely the same week that Morning Show launched and Motherless Brooklyn came out. <laughs> you you're doing a press circuit yeah. and you're and you're you're plugging this show, but you really can't talk about the main like the crux of your character and your purpose on the show. Yeah. How did you navigate that? You are absolutely right. It was the same day. I remember etched into my memory, November 1st was like D-Day. Everything was just going on for me at that point in terms of promotion. And it was mad. I, was, I kind of couldn't believe it. But but in a way, it's great to have that momentum, you know, because so often you work for months and sometimes years on these projects in isolation. And then when they, you know, finally come out in dribs or drabs, it's actually nice to have a sense of, you know, momentum and also because they were such different projects. And in a way, it was great to be doing publicity for Motherless Brooklyn, which I could talk about a lot, knowing that I could sort of reference Morning Show, but I didn't have to go into too much detail because that would be to come, you know, a little later on in the season. So so actually, it was really nice. I could kill a few birds with one stone in terms of interviews and press. <laughs> and, and, and as I say, it was really lovely for me that they were so contrasting as yeah. well. Uh, how much do you think about the opportunities for for social change and advocacy in the parts that you pick right now? Because it's it's so inherently part of your role in Morning Show. And, and you also recently did Misbehavior, a film in which you play the, the first woman of color crowned Miss World uh, 
came out of the UK right before all the theaters shut down. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. Drama. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I mean, it was it was it was a shame in a sense. And obviously, listen, I, I it's you know, a shame for the theatrical release of the movie, but obviously, you know, world pandemic obviously takes precedent. And and I think what's been wonderful is that it will now obviously have a life on demand and it's come out on demand in the UK at least and is coming to the US this summer. So that's exciting. But um, But in terms of, yeah, social advocacy, in terms of, you know, activism within the work, I yeah, I, I, I think essentially that is of interest to me because... You know, we spend so long doing these projects and inhabiting these imaginative, imaginary worlds. You want it to mean something, I think. And I think for me, it just makes it more um, more exciting, you know, especially when you're talking about it, that you can engage with the culture. You know, I think for me always, you know, once you have the luxury as an actor of getting a job in the first place, which let's be honest is, you know, it's such a con- competitive business. And, you know, I think when I left drama school, you know, I was just happy to be working. And, th- and then, you know, once you are lucky enough to get enough under your belt that you can make some choices about the work that you do, I think for me, it's it's ultimately more fulfilling to be part of projects that create a conversation and hopefully through that conversation they move the culture forward or they shift people's thinking or showing up a, a point of view from a world that we think we know but a point of view we've never seen before you know like in in misbehavior for example the first woman of color to win miss world you know you think well it's easy to be judgmental about Miss World, but actually in 1970, when the women's liberation movement were coming up and actually when Grenada had never been represented as a country in the competition, you know, for a woman like Jennifer Austin, who I play, it was a huge opportunity, you know, to expand her horizons and just to be seen, you know, in a competition like that was was so rare. So, um, yeah, it definitely makes the work more satisfying for me when I, when I know that um, there's, there's, you know, something to discuss. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up drama school because you you went to RADA, the Royal yes. Academy of Dramatic Art, which has a reputation for both churning out incredible talent and also being quite demanding. Um, mm. and I'm very interested. What was your experience like there? You know, I loved it. I have to say, I went when I was 18. I got in when I was 17 and I'd, you know, been living at home with my mum doing my A-levels and doing youth theatre. And so for me, going to RADA was, you know, a combination of leaving home. It was my university in a sense. I didn't go to university. I went straight to drama school and a lot of people that I was there with had already, you know, either worked, you know, in the real world or had, you know, come from Oxford or Cambridge or wherever they'd been and had much more life experience than I had. So for me, I was, you know, one of the youngsters. But in a way, I sort of felt a bit like a sponge in that I, you know, just took it all in. And, um, and you know, I was a bit of a nerd. I was always a hard worker, you know, at school and at drama school. And, um I loved it. I really did. I loved the experience. And I think, you know, it's mostly a theatre, classical theatre training. So for me, um, that was really, you know, exciting. And being in London, you know, walking distance from the West End Theatre and the fact that you could, you know, go and see plays at the Globe for five quid and stand and like, you know, it was just such a, a culturally just being in London was just such um, a formative and, and very invigorating experience for me. So you finish, how much are your aspirations in theatre 
and some of these classic roles of which you played several and got a lot of attention earlier in your career and and how much how much of your mind is looking ahead and and thinking about going like quote unquote Hollywood <laughs> what when I left drama school? Yeah. Oh, now. All oh, right. Yeah, no. I mean, I wasn't thinking quote unquote Hollywood at all. <laughs> I think, you know, the way that we were trained and certainly from the point of view of the industry then, you know, uh, my aspirations were very much towards working at the National Theatre in London or the Almeida, the Donmar, the Royal Court, you know, those kind of highly esteemed independent London theatres. And um, Hollywood just felt faintly sort of ridiculously far away. And... (laughs) And sort of um, not really within reach in that sense. And, you know, obviously there were people that I went to drama school with that went straight into films. But I I think for me, I, you know, I was really happy and thrilled to be working in theatre. And, you know, it was theatre that led to television and then television. Actually, it was theatre that led me to the US, to be honest with you, because it was a production of Hamlet that transferred to Broadway. And that was my first ever trip to America. So in a weird way, I've got... Shakespeare, you know, as I've got a lot to thank him for, (laughs) for opening up, you know, my career on this side of the pond. You played Ophelia in Shakespeare? Yeah. 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 You had a lot of success in your 20s, but I I feel that the sort of international breakout moment for you, at least as an outsider, is that sort of one-two of Belle and Beyond the Lights, these (laughs) two incredible movies, incredible performances, back to back. What was that two-year experience like and do you sort of look at that as the as the turning point in your career it's so interesting because I feel like there have been many turning points along the way you know as I say coming you know first to New York with Hamlet and doing a pilot over here with J.J. Abrams two months later in in LA was was definitely a huge internal undercovers undercovers exactly as short-lived as it was it was a massive experience for me uh personally you know learning and living and working in LA and um and certainly in terms of Belle and Beyond the Lights I mean you know I'd known about the story of Belle for oh, about seven years before we got to shoot it and I met Gina Prince-Bythewood here before we did Belle and I you know we tried to get funding for Beyond the Lights and a lot of people weren't interested or they wanted you know a different actress or a singer to play the part and and it was it was difficult initially with Gina to get funding so we shot a teaser for Beyond the Lights just like a sort of short sort of short film and just when that was made then I found out that Belle was actually going to go into production so I started sort of the prep for Beyond the Lights then went to London and did Belle and it wasn't really until a year later you know I remember I shot them both in September October and it was crazy because I did Belle you know god September October 2012 then the following September I was shooting Beyond the Lights but Belle was at the Toronto Film Festival so one of my weekends off from shooting Beyond the Lights I went to to TIFF and you know had the premiere of the film of Belle and then came straight back literally the next week and I was like sort of hanging off the the, the balcony the big balcony scene that we have in the film um, hanging off the balcony of the Sofitel Hotel in LA I mean it was a very surreal time you know um, but amazing amazing for me to have those you know such different roles so meaningful and you know in many senses about identity in terms of women sort of finding their voice and finding their sense of self in a in a culture that isn't necessarily 
accustomed to 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 them and you know in their natural sense yeah and obviously working with two hugely inspiring directors Amara Sante and Gina Prince-Bythewood in the space of a year you know before people were talking as much about the effort that the industry's making to empower and work with female directors i mean it was it was there but um but working with them was just incredibly inspiring and and very empowering you you say that there have been multiple turning points in your career. I would love for you to describe this current phase of your career, especially mm. as it relates to the the roles that are coming your way. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's always you know you're it's hard to look back when you're in it. But you know what's been really interesting, and certainly you know in this time of of quarantine and having a bit of time to catch up and reflect on you know the last year and and the last couple of years and certainly you know when you take motherless brooklyn morning show and misbehavior everything's starting with m for some reason <laughs> i remember i had that for a second where i was like doing everything beginning with b like bell beyond the lights black mirror but it's so it's so weird how that happens but yeah i mean for me i i don't know i think the idea of you know i hadn't worked in television for a long time before doing morning show, certainly a series, you know, Black Mirror was obviously on Netflix, but it was just one episode. So it felt more like a film. I think, you know, the industry's changed so much in terms of, you know, the multiple streaming platforms that we now have and what is a film and what is a TV series and how does the quality of them really differ? I don't think they do anymore, you know, in terms of the choices. So yeah, I mean, I think maybe, you know, I'm excited because the things that are coming my way are, you know, more complex. I think maybe be certainly my team and people that know my work know that I gravitate to sort of more multi-dimensional roles and and I'm happy to say that those are, are coming my way more frequently now but you never know I'm also just you know signed up to work on Loki for Marvel which is really exciting and and something that is a totally different genre for me you know so I'm always wanting to keep changing the genres because I think that that keeps me interested and hopefully you know stretches your muscles in different ways. Were you supposed to be filming that right now? Yeah yeah I was in Atlanta at the beginning of lockdown I mean it was another it was a crazy week because I'd just flown to London for the premiere of Misbehaviour in London and you know obviously we knew about coronavirus at the time but it wasn't seemingly in the media being taken quite as seriously at that point but it was mounting and then you know the premiere was in London on the Monday I flew back to Atlanta on the Tuesday went back to work Wednesday Thursday and by the Friday we were shut down for you know a hiatus so so that week was such a big turning point in terms of the public perception of of the virus even though probably when I flew to London it was probably still as bad but we just there wasn't an awareness or it wasn't being taken as seriously in the media at the time so yeah it was a bit of a, a bit of a jolting jolting week I mean gosh jolting for everybody to stop work and just go into lockdown it's you know it takes a minute to um get used to the, the shock of that of just stopping but yeah you know I, I'm excited to you know and hopeful that we will get back to work you know when it's safe to do so and um yeah get back to get back to Atlanta are you allowed to say anything at all about your role in Loki or will like Disney lawyers <laughs> helicopter yeah, onto your property? Much the Marvel police will probably come and kidnap me. Um, I don't. Yeah. Uh, no, I can't say anything. 
You uh, you start in, I, I think, probably the most beloved episode of Black Mirror. And if not the most beloved, definitely the most uplifting. Oh, yeah. Maybe that's for sure. only yeah. uplifting. How does that rank in in terms of the, the things that people approach you about on the street? Like what role do people talk to you about the most? It's so interesting. It depends where I am and it depends who the person is. You know, I mean, whenever I'm at JFK, anyone that works at JFK wants to talk to me about Beyond the Lights. Like, that's it. I'll be in the Starbucks queue. I'll be going through the sort of uh, security line. And and it's, I don't know why, some reason JFK is like Beyond the Lights. Um, uh, I don't know. And then, you know, when Morning Show first came out, I had a lot of people obviously approach me about that or they weren't sure. You know, they were like, are you in a morning show? I'm not sure. Like, you know, that's also another thing. I think sometimes people don't always, they know they recognize me from something, but they're not always 100% sure what. And then sometimes there's just people that like, oh my God, I love Belle. Oh my God, I love, you know, San Junipero. It's really lovely, actually, because there's such a variety of of things. And, uh, you know, I think they have different appeals and an appeal to people of different experience and different demographics. So so that's really nice for me, actually, because it's always just a, a really varied, varied group of people. I think that Beyond the Lights is a really big plane watch for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. I think good that might know. that might have something to do with the airport. It's a good <laughs> like it. it's a good emotional in-flight film. Yeah, exactly. And then again, something like that comes up again a lot around Valentine's Day, mm-hmm. you know, when people are wanting to watch more romantic films, um, you know, and, and lots of people now increasingly are being able to see Fast Color, which had a very limited release, but it's now on lots of other streaming platforms. And, and you know, again, just Mother's Day just gone, um, you know, because that film, the themes of that film are so much about mothers and daughters and that that dynamic um you know there's been more more conversations about fast color and it, weirdly in this post-apocalyptic feeling land that we are in you know or have been in lockdown dare i say it the world of fast color where i, I remember saying to julia hart the director i said oh my god the grocery store looks like the grocery store in fast color today because you know when there was that panic buying and there's like no toilet paper on the shelves or just a few you know tins of whatever we have a scene in fast color where you know in this sort of post-apocalyptic world of drought that my character goes into a grocery store and it was literally like that sort of naked shelves and um so so yeah so i it's definitely good quarantine viewing as well at least you were prepared um (laughs) morning show uh second time You've been billed alongside Reese Witherspoon, who is a producer on the show and yeah. has sort of built this empire in the last couple of years. I, I'm wondering, like, looking at your own future, how interested are you in this sort of increasingly common idea of the, the multi-hyphenate, the, mm. the actor-producer, the actor-writer, the actor-director? How much do you think about that? It's been very inspiring to me to see Reese and, you know, certainly coming from Wrinkle in Time, you know, which we did with uh, Ava DuVernay and, you know, the incredible women on that film, you know, from Oprah to Mindy Kaling. I mean, it was just such an epic film of, you know, these female leaders in the industry and and that's been really inspiring to me and seeing you know and talking to Reese and how she how enterprising she is I mean you know at the moment I'm very much focused on the acting and I think when it comes to having a a clothing line or or a a book club I'm not sure I'm there yet (laughs) 
<laughs> but, um, you know, I, I do think that, you know, and certainly in terms of having a more producerial role in the work, you know, in the acting work, that's definitely really appealing to me. And um, and again, you know, looking at people like Reese, like Ava DuVernay, you know, looking at how the production companies that they've built and how they, you know, make a point of celebrating female voices and diverse voices. And um, that's that's definitely, you know, something that, that I've been very inspired by. Before I let you go, we're going to do a quick lightning round. Uh-oh. Uh, okay. Brace, okay. brace. Are you ready? <laughs> if you had to quarantine with mm. anyone from the morning show cast or crew, who would it be and okay. why? Ugh. It would have to be Belle Powley. I have to say, Belle Powley, who plays Claire Conway, is just, I mean, you know, we're such good mates in real life. I think as the fellow Brit, she would get my sense of humor. She always makes me laugh anyway. I think we used to carpool to work sometimes on the way to the morning show set. So, you know, we've already, we just make each other laugh. And um, she's such a joyful, joyful presence. To end things on a positive note, uh, what's one way that you would say your life has improved during this sort of strange stay-at-home time? I've got more sleep, which has been really nice. Um, I have also been a bit more experimental in terms of cooking. You know, I think I had my limited repertoire of things that I would make, and now I'm kind of trying out recipes and looking at things in the New York Times and trying to get inspiration from outside of my own cooking experience. I've also really enjoyed having a bit more time just to reflect. And I've taken up painting, actually, um, which was something that I used to do a lot when I was a teenager. And, you know, I always almost considered doing as a, a life choice uh, instead of acting. But I think I, you know, I chose acting because it was more collaborative and and actually weirdly obviously now being in isolation painting is something I can do on my own but it's still creative and artistic and and I've really really loved having that excuse to have reconnection with that creative outlet that I'd sort of left by the wayside so so yeah so watch out for my um for my quarantine exhibition coming soon <laughs> When we're allowed to go to galleries again. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, Gugu and Batarat, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been lovely. Thank you. Thank you so much. Be sure to check out Morning Show on Apple TV Plus and join us next week when we'll be speaking with talent from another Apple TV Plus series. 